Eagle. Touchdown of the longest run of his first season. Clemson Podcast. We at the podcast send our deepest condolences to the Louisiana Tech team and fan base for losing your only cupcake game of the year to the South Carolina Gamecocks in a heartbreaking fashion. Tiger Town Tavern is no longer the hottest triple T in town as Clemson has brought out its running back depth chart of Tavian Feaster, Travis Etienne, and Taylor Hearn. Clemson is 4-0 and life is good. Welcome back guys. This is your host Nick. I'm joined this week by Cody and Ben who returns from his triumphant road trip to the Louisville game. Ben, start us off. Give us a trip report. Well, I had a lot of fun. Uh, Louisville is a pretty cool place to go visit. Uh, Northern Kentucky is beautiful. I actually started it in Cincinnati, uh, where I saw the Texans play the Cincinnati Bengals in what, at the time, I thought was the worst football game I had ever seen in my life. And then I watched Clemson play B.C., and it's it's debatable between those two. Uh, but um, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, I had a really great time. Uh, it's pretty interesting, that part of the country. I've never been there before. You know, Cincinnati, just north of what's that, the Ohio River there, Tully? Yep. Um, but essentially on the other side of the border in Ohio from Kentucky. And Louisville is just on the south side of the river. They're about an hour apart. But, you know, Louisville considers themselves the south. Cincinnati would be the Midwest. But a very Midwestern vibe, I would say, at least as far as the city is concerned, city of Louisville. Um, but there's that Southern flair, of course, there, you know, you got the accent, you got the twang, the accent and everything, but yeah, I had a great time. Left, uh, left Cincy on the Friday, did some, uh, some bourbon tasting, uh, went to the, the football game, did some tailgating. Um, how's the tailgating? The tailgating was not like Clemson. Their stadium is not in the middle of campus, but you know, nobody's, nobody's just like Clemson really. Not, not that I've been to. Um, but the fan base was, was awesome. Like people coming up to us, talking to us, welcoming, welcoming us to their city. Um, and then even after we beat them, uh, they were all very gracious, um, Kentucky fans as well, of course, um, saw a lot of those there, but next thing with the Churchill Downs, it still had people coming up to us, congratulating us on the win and telling us, Hey, go beat Alabama. And it's like, well, that's get there first. That's, yeah, let's get there first. But, uh, that's the plan, but it's, it's great how we're still, we're still not the enemy. It's still very apparent that we're still not the enemy. Um, but yeah, kudos to Louisville f- fans and, and that city. It was a great time, um, except for me losing some money on the ponies. How was the stadium environment? Uh, 
Um, the stadium felt more like an NFL professional type stadium. It's only fifty five thousand people. They are building out one of the one of their end zones, which is going to add about ten thousand more. And I think if they there's only one upper deck on one side. If they added one to the other side, it'd, it'd be close to probably seventy seventy five thousand people. But uh, uh, yeah, it was a cool, it was a nice stadium. Um, Papa John's done a good job. Uh, they sell beer there, which I've gone on record previously on, on episodes in this argument about whether or not they should sell beer at college stadiums. I am now in huge favor of that. He's a converter. I am a I have been converted. Louisville has converted me. Then what was your what was your logic or your reasoning behind not selling beer in the stadium, and why he told and me. why the change? Well. It was because I was on that side of being a student and tailgating at Clemson, and I know how hammered I was many times going into a football <laughs> game. Um, and the last thing I needed was uh, was another beer. Uh, but now, after seeing the uh, very sparse uh, Clemson student section in the second half of the BC game, maybe selling beer would keep them there. Sounds like too much regulation and control. I think we need to let people make decisions for themselves on the drinking. Yeah, and just in general, I, for the most part, just enjoyed um, – being there and being able to sit there and have a beer and at, a, at a football game, a football is, game yeah too, exactly huh? um well yeah good to hear you brought us home a w we appreciate that um neither of us made it out to this bc game we will get into it but first why don't we take a look across the college football landscape um this was pretty much survival saturday you know you, you guys have heard of separation saturday that usually happens some some point around the midpoint season at, um midpoint of the season uh, but this one really saw across the landscape of the top 10 at least um, really over half of the teams either take a loss or find themselves in a football game in the second half that they thought they would have put away um, including Clemson which we will get into here shortly in our BC recap um, part of the episode uh, but guys what were what were some of the games that you all watched on this Saturday and paid the closest attention to well, I think one of the ones everybody was watching was that TCU-Oklahoma State game, which I believe it was going on the same time as the Clemson game and was far more yeah, entertaining. It started a little bit earlier, but yeah, yeah definitely it, it was far more entertaining. So, you know, I had, I was high on Oklahoma State coming into the year. They had a really good offense, but TCU, man, they may be the real deal. It really took them to the woodshed there. Um, Oklahoma State did lose that turnover battle 4-1, to one with, which had a lot to do with it. But we'll see how this season plays out. You know, this could be a, a – we mentioned this before for the Big 12 – they're just they're desperate to get a team in the college, uh, you know, football playoff, of course. Um, and if you see Oklahoma lose to Oklahoma State, but then somehow those two teams end up back in the Big 12 championship game, which they're having uh, this year for the first time. And then Oklahoma would be, would go and win that game. There could be some interesting scenarios where a Big 12 team gets left out again. Yeah, I'm not discounting the opportunity to have some cannibalization go on there. I still think, though, that. They do have some talented teams, and we look across the national landscape. We'll talk about Alabama, but really it's kind of this next tier, and for, for what we know, you could find multiple of those teams in that kind of the hunt for the playoff. I don't think they'll get skunked regardless of what happens. I could still see a one-loss Big 12 team getting in, um, and they may have two undefeated. They wouldn't be undefeated. They could have like a one-loss team in a rematch scenario in that championship game and you know kind of have a revenge factor win. Um, and then the committee will have a tough decision, but I, I still, based on the quality of play we're seeing, probably you will see a Big 12 team get in. Yeah, well, and there's multiple scenarios there. I said Oklahoma State, but, you know, what if uh, Oklahoma beats TCU and then TCU ends up beating Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game? 
so that's a possibility. But right. at the same time, um, you, you take a look at the other football conferences, uh, specifically the ACC. You know, last year you can make an argument for Clemson, FSU, really, uh, you know, throughout a good portion of this. Well, I guess Louisville and then Florida State got beat pretty bad uh, by uh, Louisville there. Um, but this year, looking at the ACC, there's only one team. It's Clemson or Bust that's going to make it in. And Clemson, after that offensive performance against Boston College, a not very good Boston College team uh, on Saturday, you know, there's a chance that Clemson loses and doesn't look very good that the ACC may not get a team in, which obviously opens doors for other conferences. We'll come back to that. Um, but the the Oklahoma teams, I even though Oklahoma State did lose, they were looking in the first three weeks like a historically good offense. I mean, like they were playing a video game, I think, as some people stated it. I really think that TCU is a good team. I really think Oklahoma State's a good team, maybe not a world beater. And I think Oklahoma is, is the best team in the Big 12. So I think regardless if, if their cannibalization happens or not, I think they are a good team. I think Oklahoma is a worthy uh, top four playoff contender. They gave up 463 yards passing to Baylor, though. They're going to have to shore up that defense. Yeah, I, I mean, they had the off week, too. And, I, I you know, I, I've got to the point where I'm not going to overreact to any one game, including our own. And, I mean, last year we lost to Pittsburgh. so Especially only a third of the way through the season. Right. Yeah, it's still pretty early yet. I think we're we're learning a lot about these teams at this point. You kind of know what you have for the most part, but any of these teams, Clemson included, you know, they're allowed to have a down week. I guess they still pulled out the win. Most of these teams did. Obviously, Oklahoma State fell, um, but you know, another close game I watched the most for the at least the full second half was Penn State Iowa. I thought Iowa was, was going to get another top ranked, you know, top flight Big Ten team pelt on their wall. Uh, last year it happened in the same weekend. We did lose to Pittsburgh. Iowa took Michigan down at night. Um, looks like an awesome atmosphere. I'd probably add that to my list of um, stadiums to visit in a road game setting, especially at night. But um, yeah, Penn State pulled it out. Saquon Barkley, incredibly impressive performance. If you look at Penn State's stats, though, they only, I mean, they really didn't produce that many yards. Yeah, they produced 21 points um, to get the win there. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know how much we learn necessarily about Penn State's long-term prospects, but you know, against an Iowa team, I think Penn State's going to have an uphill battle going into Columbus next, later on in the year. Well, and you can say this about a lot of teams. Bottom line is they won the football game. Clemson eked out one against North Carolina State last year. My boss, who is a big Penn State fan, uh, he came up to me, and the first thing he said to me on Monday, he's like, to win a national championship, you got to be lucky. And you sure do. And they got lucky. It's funny you said it's funny you get a firsthand perspective from a fan or an actual Penn State fan because I said, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I watched them and I watched them again against Iowa. Nothing against them. They're very, I'd say, complete. I just don't believe there's a reason they played Iowa tough. And Iowa does have a good defense and they were at home. It's a tough home environment, but I think they're limited. When it comes like the, t the best of the best, Clemson, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, I just don't think they have quite the completeness or the talent uh, to match one of those teams. I mean, granted, we, you saw what we did, but well, you've look seen, at Alabama to s establish kind of your baseline for what greatness will require. Yeah, and you've you saw, I mean, take the last two years in the college football playoff. You've seen blowouts across the board in the that semifinal playoff game for both Clemson and Alabama, the foes that they've uh, gone up against. So, yeah, I mean, these other conferences not only need to get in, they need to actually prove something against the, the top, the two teams that have been the best from the best conferences the past couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe to round out kind of a look across the country, we should touch on what happened in the ACC. Let's get back to that after this point. But um, I think the Pac-12 is one we haven't really touched on too much. 
Once again, USC found themselves in a pretty close game against Cal. They kind of iced that one toward the end, but I don't think Sam Darnold is nearly the quarterback or the leader or the you know superstar that he was hyped to be well, coming into this year. Well, give him some time, and everybody is quick to look at the quarterback and the quarterback returning, but nobody looked to their offensive line and who they were losing coming into this year. So that's a big part of your quarterback play. Um, so it's not just Sam Darnold. Give that some time. That team's still undefeated. I still think he's going to, you know, he is a good quarterback. That offense line's going to need time to gel. They're, they still have the opportunity to be really good this year. Yeah, the other team, I mean, Stanford had a really impressive win against UCLA, but they lost last week um, in convincing fashion to USC. Um, and Stanford's a pretty solid team across the board. So USC definitely has that gear. Um, their running game looks really solid. Um, but Washington, I feel like Washington's still a little bit under the radar nationally. Playoff team last year, very talented. They lost some guys to the league, um, and they haven't necessarily faced you know top flight opponents nationally yet. Um, out of conference is a pretty pathetic schedule, but um, they're a team I'm going to keep my eye on. We'll probably get our buddy Dan here on the show soon enough to talk about them. Cody, have you seen Washington at all? Did you catch that Colorado game? I did not. I saw UCLA and Stanford, and I'm I'm not overly impressed with either team. I mean, Stanford might have a new quarterback, Costello, and with their defense. I mean, you, you're talking about a maybe upper tier Pac-12 team. I haven't seen SC yet. Um, maybe can we go to the SEC? I'm, I like how we finish on the SEC. By the way, not like we don't we don't start with them. Hmm. Did you guys watch Georgia and Mississippi State? Uh, back and forth, but it looked like a one-sided game, so it wasn't that exciting. Georgia, hey, you know, we were kind of rooting. I was rooting against Georgia for purposes of recruiting. I think, you know, we're going to have a lot of head-to-heads in the coming months with Georgia. And I think they're rounding into, I've heard it called like a poor man's Alabama. I mean, obviously you have Kirby Smart as your as your coach. Their defense looks good. Yeah. And and they have two two good quarterbacks now, including, a, you know, five-star Jake Fromm, who looks like he might take the job from Jacob Eason. That's a legitimate team. I, I really think that is probably the one legitimate team in the SEC. Well, isn't Eason out for the year? No, no, he could be back uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to have a decision to make. But it's it's kind of like what we were hoping that we would have uh, Clemson, two good choices or three in our case. Yeah, I mean the SEC East could not be more of a, a train wreck around them. So I feel like if Georgia somehow doesn't win that that division, yeah, let's let's not give problems. them a pat on the back yet for being first in the SEC East after four games. Um, they, if if they're the real deal, they should easily glide through that that. Eastern Division because the SEC East is one of the worst divisions in college football. And I think people were buying uh, stock really high on Mississippi State because they, they plummeted. They clearly had some limitations. I haven't seen LSU play. They, they blew LSU out the week before. People were thinking they're, they're going to compete in the SEC West. Uh, Georgia dismantled them. And again, it's not about all about who you play. Um, you can just see it on film. Yeah. I mean, you, you could see it on film. They, I think Georgia looks very legit. They're so fast on defense. That front seven is is really good. So pretty much right now, it's Alabama, Georgia. I think Every, so. Everybody else is in the rearview mirror in the SEC. Auburn looked good as well. I didn't watch a whole lot of their game, but I, I think again that that I, win I, will age well because they blew out Missouri and they're going to get better. Missouri's horrible. They are horrible. <laughs> You're That's right. True. Uh, why don't we wrap up with the ACC? Um, one, I'm sure all Clemson fans were keeping an eye on was NC State upset over Florida State. Florida State now drops to zero and two. Yes, they've only played two games due to Hurricane Irma um, knocking out their initial game. I forget who they had to reschedule or cancel. It was it UL? It was Monroe? Miami, right? Well, they, Miami got rescheduled to a couple weeks from now. But, gotcha. uh, yeah, Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, Louisiana Monroe. They, I think they might just cancel that game altogether. But um, you know, this was James Blackman's first game as quarterback of the Seminoles. 
I re-listened to the Noel cast kind of instant reaction um, on Saturday night. And they're saying, I mean, this was not a game that Florida State lost because James Blackman just had a meltdown. Um, this is a game, by and large, that there were a lot of coachable moments that the team sort of failed and did not did not execute in. And then there were also some defensive lapses. If you guys remember all the praise we were seeing of Florida State defense coming into the year, what they, how good they looked against Alabama to come back against the NC State team that's got you know Ryan Finley and Jalen Samuel. Um, you know, not necessarily world beaters on the offensive side for NC State. I mean, NC State kind of lives for these type of upset games. Um, they bring you down into the dirt with dirty play, um, and that's kind of what we saw to some extent. But Florida State just has their number in terms of talent, and they couldn't get this done. Well, but, I mean, I hesitate to really call it an upset. Uh, upset. I mean, North Carolina State had played two more games than them at that point, and Florida State was off two weeks in a row. They were playing their second game of the year, and it looked like they were playing their second game of the year. Yeah, it, it could be an, even an overreaction by the Noel cast, and you know they do a great job. I think they're pretty level-headed. What's interesting to me, and I, I was thinking about this earlier in, during the offseason, is I don't want to say the dysfunction, but Jimbo Fisher seems to be uh, – we've heard from the Noel cast that he's doubling down on some bad coaching decisions, uh, maybe hiring a lot of yes-men. It seems like there could be a small bit of dysfunction within just kind of their football culture. Because you look at them talent-wise, they're, they're recruiting with, with Ohio State, with close to Alabama, obviously right with Clemson, and you're just not seeing it now. And how many years has it been? I mean, 2013 was an outlier of sorts, and then they kind of regress after that. Well, you kind of make that Mac Brown comparison that was made that we made before. Um, you know, Mac Brown had his championship with Vince Young, uh, you know, star stud quarterback, and Jimbo did that with Jameis Winston. What else has he done though? I mean, now that other teams in the ACC are challenging, the ACC is getting better, they're losing some games. They're not winning the ACC Atlantic or the ACC. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting where they go from here in terms of continu- continuing to develop Blackman, getting Cam Akers involved in the offense. Um, they seem to go with, um, you know, sort of other playmakers at times in this game. Didn't seem to have a real offensive identity. And again, they're, they're still finding their footing with Blackman, but... Um, I think they'll rebound. I mean, they do have a pretty tough slate coming up. They go on the road to Wake this week. They get Miami after that. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't get much easier after that. Eventually, they'll they'll come into town and face Clemson. But, you know, already starting 0-2, losing, not having that ULM game to play, could this be a team that struggles to get to kind of 6-7 wins? I don't think it's that bad. I think sometimes just sure talent will win out, and they do have a lot of that. And, and again, they, they played two games. They had played one game going into that game. Uh, versus NC State's three. Sure. They, they just they just need to be out there on the field. And But, you know, you talk about six or seven wins. Maybe that's like worst-case scenario. But look at the Louisville game last year where they just – they didn't get up for the game. And a lot of that – those players injuries. Yeah. Well. And North Carolina State's a good team. They laid an egg against South Carolina, but they, they should be on, on paper. They're, they're a good team. Yeah, NC State is solid. I mean, I want to – a lot of people are like, oh, God, they lost the Gamecocks. How could they possibly be a decent team? You know, they – they really won that game in every other aspect but the final scoreboard. They had everything go wrong. They still statistically put up a much better game than the Gamecocks and um, came away with the loss. But, yeah, you know, credit to NC State there. I mean, I think I learned as much about or coming out of this game, you know, I didn't necessarily drop my level of fear of this Florida State matchup we're going to have coming up. But that NC State game, you know, is continuing to loom large. So speaking of, you know, their, their loss to South Carolina, can we now call that pulling an NC State? I mean, actually, it's more like South Carolina plays an ACC team first game of the year, 
usually win. They beat what North Carolina a couple years ago. Yeah, d- despite the same scenario where North Carolina outplayed them in every them. facet yeah. of the game. Yeah, a voodoo magic going on down there, man. Yeah. I don't know how they do it's it. Weird Carolina. Stuff. They they don't get many wins after that though. Um, elsewhere in the ACC and in the state of North Carolina, you've got UNC. What are they? One and three, zero oh and four. Um, and then you have a four and zero oh Wake and a four and zero oh Duke. I'm um, really interesting how the tables have turned um, in in that state to the north, but um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we get Wake relatively early after um, Virginia Tech coming up here. That looks like an improved offense, and this is going to be an interesting game. You know, we'll we'll take a look at how they do against Florida State coming in. I expect the Knowles to rebound. I think they'll probably come away with the win in this game, but, you know, Wake will not go down without a fight. Um, and then Syracuse actually took LSU. They were pretty close. They definitely covered the spread, I can say that, um, against LSU in a hostile environment at night. Well, from what I hear, it wasn't so hostile. There were a lot of empty seats in that stadium. Um, Louisville coming off again, beat down by Mississippi State, and then it's Syracuse. It's hard to it's hard to get excited about that game. Um, I, I think it speaks more of the way LSU played than how good Syracuse is. Um, any other ACC takeaways, guys? Louisville bounced back, uh, but that was against Kent State. Yeah, we know what Kent State's made of. Um, did they pass the ball in this game, Kent State? I believe they had some attempts. Yes, failed okay. to look at that box score. I didn't, you know, not to move away from the ACC, but I did watch the South Carolina game as much as I could. I was at home. I didn't, you know, meet you guys at the bar, and I only have one takeaway. And it was I didn't get to go do like a lot of deep analysis or anything like that. But I was surprised at the lack of talent, the lack of speed that I saw on on defense up front. And Jake Bentley was very underwhelming. And I, and I don't, you guys know, I'm not a big South Carolina hater. I'm just, I call it like I see it. Louisiana Tech looked like just as good, or if not better, the better team in almost every facet. How would you um, grade his flop skills? He's terrific at that. He is like, he's totally a coach's son. I'll, I'll give him that. He's going to be the guy that's going to flop. And yeah, he if, does, you, if he's playing great- basketball, he's going to be taking charges and, so what we thought might be a boring weekend in games actually turned out to be pretty compelling. Um, thankfully, we snuck through. Before we get into our BC uh, recap, wanted to just take a moment to promote the podcast. Um, really, guys, what you could do to help us out the most is le- go over to iTunes, leave us a review. It's a great way for us to get discovered by people looking for college football podcasts, particularly Cle- Clemson-related. Um, and you know, we've gotten some recent reviews. Thank you to all to all of those people that have um, stepped up and done us the service of leaving a review. Uh, yeah, and then we've been doing a lot of shout outs recently and gotten good uh, feedback and response from those. And then I it, I've, I can't believe we've overlooked Benjamin Freeman on Facebook. He's one of our one of the guys that that engages with us the most uh, on Facebook. Thanks to him. I don't know, is he one of your guys' friends? Yeah, he's my roommate own college gotcha so that makes a lot of sense i didn't know who he was i just noticed he was on there so shout out to benjamin freeman thank you dude uh for listening and then all the support and then one other special shout out you've caught our eyes soundcloud user 9836662852865 don't think we haven't noticed you out there in the virtual world not honestly liking us of trying to seduce plucking on our heartstrings like the tease that you are secret admirer click away but a world apart what are the ends of this game you play do you seek to mine the depths of our emotions until the curiosity you peak overcomes us with such blind lust that we can no longer navigate the labyrinth of existence as we lament the tragedy of this misconnection reveal yourself user 9836662285 shed your cloak of obscurity 
For until you do, the sorrow that this brings will grow stronger than the mighty tiger's roar and echo in our hearts for life eternal. Go Tigers. So, BC, huh, guys? Um, yeah, this Boston College game, We looking back a week ago against Louisville, we took credit for dismantling them in three quarters, you know, containing Lamar Jackson, holding them to seven through three. And I think we need to eat a little bit of humble pie for Clemson's performance through three quarters in this one. Um, you know, looked pretty flat on offense, didn't necessarily make adjustments to what Boston College's game plan was. And, um, you know, I, we will obviously get get well into this offense and what we think happened and, and why. Uh, but for the most part, I think, you know, for the for the naked eye, the lay fan, um, this was not Clemson's best performance. And, um, you know, this really was this kept a defense in there, you know, normally against an opponent at this level, we would have been able to spell some of our starters. And we definitely saw some of our guys get put in harm's way late, later than they should have been. Um, so, you know. Yes, great to get the win, good to survive in advance um, and you know keep all of our goals in front of us. But this one felt a lot closer than it needed to. Yeah, it really did. And I mean, I think everybody's going to look to the offense. And my big question is, well, my, my, I guess one thing that you could say about this for sure is that it was a very vanilla offense. Now, why that is, it could be a number of factors. Uh, field position was a huge factor in this game. Um, Boston College did come out with a defensive scheme that we weren't ready for. Um, could Kelly Bryant actually be more limited in, in the passing game than we thought? Or were they just trying to, are they still trying to keep stuff hidden, even though it was such a close game early on, knowing that we would eventually wear them down and the defense would take over and then we'd beat them in the trenches on offense? There's, I, there's let me a, throw a couple more in there, Ben. I mean, was this a letdown game after two really high-profile, high amped-up weeks in a row? And a look-ahead game to Virginia Tech. You know, this could be three out of four weeks against top 15 teams. Boston College is the natural time. Go back home, kind of relax, kind of read your headlines a little bit. But the letdown wasn't, I, you know, I, I could see that argument maybe if it was a total team effort that was more of a letdown. But the defense could have played better. I mean, they only gave up seven points. Um, there were some weaknesses there to point out, but not much. It was really all about the offense. And let me give some credit to BC because we're going to talk about our offense. Let's give their defense credit. For one, they had a great game plan. You, you alluded to it, Ben. They went into a zone defense the whole game. They had not done that all year. We were not ready for it. We were not prepared. Um, a lot of variables that, I guess, kind of unfolded from that point on. Why, why did we go vanilla? Was it because we weren't confident in Kelly Bryant? Um, you know, Did we not want to put things on film for Bud Foster? Like So many different variables. But uh, were we arrogant? Were we just thinking we could methodically kind of just boa constrictor them? And I think you know I've heard it said somewhere where like if you're if you're playing that game, you know you look smart for a certain time time period. If it, if you break it loose, you look great. But if you're uh, seven to seven in the fourth quarter, you like you're about to shoot yourself in the foot and you look really stupid. Well, it did end up thirty four to seven, so I guess you could say that did work. But I mean the whole the argument about them going uh, you know, playing a zone defense. I mean, do we not know how to? play offense against his own defense. I'm pretty sure, I think Louisville was playing the same type of defense. Well, here, different here, talent. I mean, Steve, Steve Adazio, for all of his flaws as a head coach, tremendous tactician defensively versus, you know, really a, you know, I forget his name already. The guy from uh, Louisville who came up from Mississippi State. Um, Sermon. Was also, Sermon, thank you. Um, Louisville was also down some talent. You know, and Boston College had an elite first round draft pick, Harold Landry at end, who was, 
super disruptive all game. Yeah, and, and that was a part of it, too. There was the one interception caused really by, by Landry. That first interception by Bryant really wasn't on him. And Landry beat our best offensive lineman, Hyatt, to, to make yeah. that happen. So you had to look at it like he's, you know, Bryant's got two interceptions. You know, yeah, we've seen zone defenses before, uh, but, you know, I don't know. It, it was things that he hadn't seen. He was he was getting hit. He did that internal clock. One, you know, one play it could be three seconds. The next play it could be one second. Like he was he was flustered a bit. And well, and that's one thing you can take away for sure is that his uh, pocket presence was very poor in this game. Whether or not they were prepared for the zone or couldn't adjust to the zone or were trying to be vanilla, and not show a lot. His pocket presence was poor. Uh, his accuracy was down. His mechanics did not look the same. He's not getting the ball out of his hand very quickly. Um, he's flushing the pocket too early. So, I mean, those are those are things we can s- see and, and critique 100%. Now, these other things uh, can be unknowns about why they didn't adjust or if they were just going to well, game plan was to try to wear them about, down. Let's talk about that, though. I mean, we all acknowledge Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. I mean, they're they're smart guys. They know how to win. They, they know how to get production out of this offense in multiple ways. Look no further than the Auburn and the Louisville games. You know, two kind of different scenarios, different game plans, and did enough on offense to get wins there. Um, do we think it's by coincidence that we were just vanilla in this game, if you want to call it that? Well, I, and well, I, I think well, for one, there were there were some issues in the pocket for one, and and he, I, you don't want to put your what is it his fourth start. You don't want to put Kelly Bryant in a situation where he's he throws like four or five interceptions and he loses all confidence. Going think, into a big game. The going into week. a big game, yeah. I think that's a part of it. Yeah. Um, and Quacking Tiger in his recap was like, here, let me rattle off a laundry list of things they didn't try. You yeah, know, we didn't. Spreading the ball sideline to sideline, jet sweeps, um, you know, going downfield with it, going downfield over the middle. Yeah, we didn't see that. And I think part of it could be, to your point, not wanting to rattle confidence. Ray Ray had two touches. I mean... You can at least, even if you're being vanilla, you can get your ball to your playmaker, right? Ray Ray, leading receiver on the team, he needs to get more touches than that. Right. Same with Deion Kane. There were not a whole lot of targets his way. Well, Kane, Kane could have laid out for that one ball. Yeah. I, I've seen a few times now of him not going up and battling for balls, high-pointing them, and then he didn't lay out for that one. You know, I don't even know if he would have had to lay out. And again, I, I didn't watch the All-22 cam to see how close that ball was. I'm just saying, Kane's effort could set, step it up a bit. Um, I'm higher on DeAndre Overton right now. Yeah, I mean, that's another part. Why didn't, you know, using Overton or T. Higgins in, in, you know, in, in a 50-50 type ball with, you know. I, a, lot of, a lot of things you could have done, but I will say, and Jeff Scott said this, again, this is maybe a little bit of the arrogance um, but he didn't, I don't think he intended it as such, but he said, you know, we'll, we'll, however you want us to kill you, you know, you, you, you pick it. Cause that's, you know, they'll, we respond to how the defense, what whatever formation you. they ran, yeah. whatever they give you when we'll, we'll find that inefficiency and attack it. In this case, it was running the ball and you got to give our, our offense credit for running our offensive line, a little bit of credit. Cause there were some holes there. Um, and for Eddie and, you know, he doesn't really need holes, uh, but, well, let but me for talk, Feaster, he looked good. I want to talk about the circumstances that Etienne got into the game and was able to bust those runs lead. And it was, I think, a combo of the C.J. Fuller fumble. Coaches lost confidence, rightfully so. Pulled him from the game. And then you, you actually saw Adam Choice have a little bit of a, a, an injury go down. Right. And, and then you get Etienne in the game. Right. And I think at that point, uh, one, Cody, you did credit the offensive line. They did a very good job in run blocking. Um, and actually, I think the pass protection wasn't as bad as I thought it was after rewatching because they were just sending a bunch of guys, more guys than the offensive line can block. But going back to Etienne, 
Um, a couple things do give me pause, but I love what I see out of this kid. Um, he's in there in the fourth quarter making these plays after the BC defense is worn down. Remember, the BC defense isn't three deep in positions like we are. It's not on our defense. Those guys are out there for the whole game. Um, but that being said, you're right. All these other things shouldn't have to happen. At this point, moving forward, Etienne is 1B behind 1A, Tavian Feaster. Absolutely, and Jeff Scott said as much um, in, in, on Sunday's interview loop. So, yeah, uh, it was talking about, you know, whether or not the BC defense is worn down, the speed and aggressiveness is um, at which that guy hits the hole and takes off and he tacklers bounce off him or he goes under them or he spins around them yeah, or he goes through them. And one of the things we talked about was, and this is just like one play in particular, and this one made the rounds on Twitter was, you know, standard kind of handoff draw play um, with the speed that at which he not only addresses the ball coming out of Kelly Bryant's hand, but, you know, up into the, the line area, typically, you know, they, they didn't give him a lot of a room to, to work with. What would have normally been about a two, three yard carry ended up with a, about an eight, nine yard carry with Etienne's speed and burst. And this is not him breaking a bunch of tackles. It's just by the time they're able to make contact where they could take him down. He's just so fast. I've never, I mean, I don't know that I recall seeing anybody get up to speed as fast as he does. And I'll, I'll tell you this right now. This might be a bold prediction. I know we've got to see a lot more out of this kid. We have to see him uh, play uh, against fresh, better defenses. But from the looks of things, and you combine that with what I think he's going to be able to do in the return game, I think that he has all the tools and the talent and also eventually with a team around him um, to be Clemson's first Heisman winner. <laughs> We'll see. Now he he has certainly has a, a Dalvin Cook like effect. I don't. He doesn't necessarily look like him as a runner, but just that home run threat. He, he all he has to do is make a guy miss. He's so quick at you know between the tackles um, that and and look at Florida State now. Look at their team now. How they, you know they're they can't put up as many points. Well, you know the best. What do they call it? Like the best plans go you know go away whenever you get punched in the mouth. Well, Etienne's kind of like you're punched in the mouth. It doesn't matter how you defend him it's just sometimes you can't contain that speed yeah that's right I mean I you know coming into breaking down this BC game and looking ahead to Virginia Tech I kind of wanted to take our discussion in two directions number one like what continues to give us confidence about what we know about this offense um, and certainly you got to talk about our our two two-headed running back monster I thought Feaster also had a pretty good game um, you didn't you know look looked at through the lens or looking at him next to Etienne you're not going to necessarily think Easter, by no means, is a lumbering running back at this point. No, I mean, absolutely he's, not. He's still got amazing speed and you know ability. Well, and, um, and he's in there at the beginning of games, right? He's getting more touches where, when, the, when the defense is still fresh. And he's still got a burst. He's hitting the holes aggressively, which is uh, has been one of the knocks against him. And he's not like a, his he's, pad level is good, too. Yeah, he's not afraid of that shoulder in, injury anymore. And he's really laying some hits on people. Um, yeah, so, I mean, chalk, chalk up in the confidence category our running game. Not just through the running backs, though. Kelly Bryant, his elusiveness, he seems to be pretty decisive when he knows he wants to take off. You can you can argue that as a negative also in terms of the amount of contact and hits he's taking. Or if his first read isn't there, he's taken off with the ball. I think that was the criticism of him in the spring, certainly in you know seasons past when he's gotten into games. So I kind of put that in the plus-minus category. Yeah, from the looks of this offense, the way it, the, the identity of it is shaping up this year, we're going to be a run first offense. And part of that is not only going to uh, be getting Kelly Bryant out on the outside and doing what he can do with his legs, but pounding the ball inside and, and winning the game in the trenches in the run game, which is something very different than what we've seen of, uh, of recent Clemson teams. But I think that's what it's going to have to be. But the good news is 
Uh, we have three very talented guys on the team can run, and not to mention Taylor Hearn. <laughs> he's uh, yeah, I, I would pick him for Heisman if, if I had a choice of all the <laughs> running backs. Um, he, he's part of the new jumbo package. Put him in the backfield. There you go. Who's gonna block? Uh, well, you know, still got Christian Wilkins, a big Dex. It's true. Line up Dex at uh, at guard. Maybe give me Pinkney, little Pinkney. Cody, in terms of other aspects of this offense that you know we as Clemson fans could hang our hats on, or you know feel good about going forward in the season. Anything in the passing game? (laughs) Not a whole lot, to be honest. Hunter Renfro still, you know, you know, Bryant was having accuracy issues all game, but what is it when the the passes that go to Hunter Renfro's way, aside from the interception, they're usually accurate. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's timing, if it's something about confidence that the quarterback has subconsciously, but they're usually pretty good strikes. I think it's Hunter Renfro. I think he makes them look good. He's just in the right place at the right time. Well, he doesn't exactly have a huge catch radius, but the balls that go his way are, are accurate. He does he he's, does a great job catching them. He's sneaky, man. But that, that is something you need to talk about, Ben, being a run-first team. And sure, you can be a run-first team and beat Boston College. You can be a run-only team, which is more or less what we were. But if you don't have some element of balance, and that's running the ball, it's it's the vertical game, horizontal game, every every aspect of a, of a balanced well, offense, if you can't open it up, you don't have a counterpunch no. – for a great team, then you're, they're going to exploit you. Absolutely, and what I really, what I mean to say is that we're going to open up the passing game through running the ball, right? As opposed to years past, where we may right. open up the running game through passing the ball. I mean, let me ask you guys though: like, if you're Bud Foster, why not just stuff the box, spy someone on Bryant, and make him beat you through the air, man to man? Well, that's a great. I was thinking about Bud Foster, uh, and not to go too deep into the preview, but I think there's a blueprint now on our on our offense: make Kelly Bryant beat you. Uh, just running, keep everything in front of you. If you're going to allow those like little checkdowns or the you know the underneath routes, like make make him execute on that time and time again because he might not be able to. Well, Bud Foster was probably going to do that anyways. He knows he was going to be going up against a kid who's only started four games. So maybe this BC defense actually did Clemson a favor, as in they gave Kelly Bryant a test and something to look at on film heading into the Virginia Tech game, where we can probably expect to see more of the same, if not worse. Yeah, for sure. I mean. I- if we blow BC out, maybe you don't have the same level of urgency or you know level of focus in this week of things to develop and work on. I mean, no shortage of areas there to to develop. Um, yeah, I mean, I I still we should continue to explore the conversation of um, how can you get this offense going if they're just going to prioritize stuffing the run. Right, it's got to be. I think it's got to be with guys like Hunter Renfro. And those like crossing routes, slants, and things like that. Like that is that's what won us the national championship game. And you know, you got a guy like Deshaun Watson. We call him, you know, we say what he had was an open canvas because no matter what the defensive coordinator throws at you, he can change in a, in a minute and scramble or hit a hit, make a uh, a pass on the run. Kelly Bryant is limited. I think we we've come to realize that now. But if you can execute on on those those things, it will open well, up things downfield. And, and the not, running game is better than last year. And let's not forget the stable of what eleven high high potential high talent wideouts we have. Getting them involved more in 50-50 balls, as we were saying, we didn't see too much of in this game. Um, over ten and Kane, you know, can certainly and T Higgins can certainly go up and get involved. You don't necessarily need Joe Montana back there. It depends, though. I mean, they, he he didn't have a lot of time. Um, to go for those deep balls. And then on the, the quick slants and stuff, his release is not nearly as quick as Deshaun Watson's. No, not at all. He's, he's a little bit slow getting that ball out of there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, we talk about getting into the playmakers on the perimeter, but even in those, but bubble, not in he, bubble screens, even, even on those bubble yeah. screens, he's, he's throwing a little bit wild and that's taking the wide receiver 
uh, right into the defender that's being blocked and who is not being blocked all that well by the other wide receiver that's out there. So let me ask you guys, do we redefine our expectations for what this offense could be? And maybe it's maybe it still does have a high ceiling, but do you guys think we, we saw the Kelly Bryant that we were afraid we might have, uh, have seen early in the year, uh, limited and, and with the right defensive coordinator, the right defense can potentially be exploited? Well, what I've, what I've been encouraged by is that he has had the tendency to bounce back, even when things haven't been going right early on in the game. So that is encouraging. And... I mean, but we've said it. I mean, make no mistake about it. We knew this offense wasn't going to be as good as it was last year. Um, Kent State game, Louisville game aside, even in the Louisville game, man, Louisville did a lot of things to shoot themselves in the foot that led to us scoring so many points. Um, bottom line is this team is a defensive team first and foremost, and then on offense we're going to be more run heavy. Whatever Kelly Bryant can do on top of that, manage the game, not make dumb mistakes, uh, throw the ball away, man. He's holding on to the ball too long. Like little things like that that don't put you behind the chains. And we don't seem to be a te- uh, an offense that if we are behind the chains, if we're not getting par- positive yardage on first and second down, uh, we're not, we're well, not getting that's, bold that's what scares me the most is, is having to see what happens when this team needs to go in a game-winning drive. Deshaun Watson could do that, we knew. When Alabama left us two minutes and change last year, we knew that he was going to go down and win that game. I do not have that confidence in this team right now. I think we haven't, we haven't seen this team get put to that test or play, play with a deficit, really, um, at this point. So let's hope we don't see that this coming weekend, and we, we may well and learn, learn a little bit more. Um, my first thought was... This is this is a one game sample, and we're coming off a Louisville game where Kelly Bryant looked pretty capable and got got the job done. Again, different levels of defense and talent and um, defensive scheme from Adazio versus Sermon. Uh, but I think Cody, one thing you talked about last week that stuck with me is let's not compare this Clemson team even to the rest of its regular season schedule. Depending on what we think the ceiling is for this team, let's talk about how can they compete against other playoff caliber teams. Um, we can talk about if we think this offense can compete with an Alabama level defense. Um, regardless of what Alabama did to Vanderbilt um, on defense, they're obviously super stacked and talented. They they probably are not as good as last year's Alabama team. We can, you know, a lot of people have talked about is this offense better than last year's offense? Uh, on the Clemson side, I think it's an unequivocal no. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly talent and um, the capability there to be a different type of offense that can get the job done. I think we're going to find out a lot more in this game um, and certainly NC State, Florida State of what level of offense we do have that can compete nationally. Uh, but I, I'm not willing to just take a look at this BC game and, you know, use that as the template to calibrate this team. And that's that's fair. And we're I really do think a lot of the conservative plays were and overly conservative were by design. They were very intentional. So I'm OK with that. Um, I, I, I think maybe to go back to Eddie because maybe we need to give him credit. We're talking about him kind of in the context of the game and how how good he is is something it's what well, you did mention. He was going to be a, a Heisman winner, Ben. So I, I, or a potentially a Heisman I winner, potentially based on skill set and it's like with C.J. Spiller, that C.J. Spiller didn't have the team around him. That team wasn't going undefeated or losing one game in, right. uh, in the national playoff or pick, and there was no playoff then, but the national championship picture. Etienne's going to have that, and from at first glance, the skills and ability are there. Yeah, and I think as a fan base, we're, we're enamored with him and we're thinking about the future. I'm thinking about this year. I think we might need him to be great this year. 
So yeah, he call him one B, call him what you want. I understand the issues in pass protection, but you got to start. I, you know, totally. You, you're a Cleveland fan. He's like Kyrie Irving. Like he has really like really bad defense. That might be his pass protection, but his offense is way too damn good to to not put him on the field more. I mean, because yeah, Feaster was good, but there's he's head and shoulders above the rest, and he, he could potentially be the reason we make it to the playoff. I think he's he needs to be that essential of a of an ingredient in our offense. Yeah, and the, the hope is if there has been any type of conservatism or chess playing going on with Skelliot, that this weekend against a, a team that can get their thumb on you and keep you down, Virginia Tech, that they will open up and find ways to get these guys involved. And if we want to call it open up the playbook as much as we need to, let's do it versus All you know, putting gotta, too much on film. You just got to give him the ball. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's into the second level right after the snap. You know, I, I can only imagine, too, what that opens up in the play-action game, you know, for the, for the rest of this capable offense. Right. Every time you you hand a, or fake the handoff to him, it's going to suck a linebacker two feet over because you don't that margin of error is so small when a guy's that damn fast. So that opens up everything and it makes you better, makes you feel bright more in the zone reads or it makes you feel the zone read more. Everything about the offense will get better. So he needs to you got to start crafting the game plan and learn to mitigate those weaknesses in pass protection. So let me ask you guys a question. I'm clearly no offensive guru, neither are you guys, but I'm going to put it out there anyways. Um, you never see two guys in the backfield anymore. What about some type of package where you have Feaster and Etienne in the back uh, in the backfield, just like you said, to one act is a decoy. Well, I I think well I, no, I let's put it this way. Game. Well, let's put That's it this way. Let's put it this way. So when when I played Pee Wee football, right? I was I was a running back, and then there was a much better, much more athletic uh, guy who was this, was the number one running back, and I was the number two running back. We ran a wishbone. He would get the ball 90% of the time. I would get some runs up the middle here and there. But the one play that I scored on, I believe, three times was they would fake a handoff to him. And at the snap, I would take one step to the right to delay it. They'd fake the handoff to him. Everybody would go after him. I'd cut back, run the other way. Nobody near me because I wasn't a threat. But it was a decoy play. Two guys in the backfield that are super talented. Why, don't, why can't you see a package like that? Well, Oklahoma actually ran something like that. Uh, recently, but where they had oh Mixon and yeah no uh, no, no it was this season against Ohio State uh, in the second half but well like you talk about the numbers well like if you can put an extra guy in the box then that kind of it kind of limits one of their greatest assets which is their speed and you know you only have so much space you can't take advantage of the speed so a lot oftentimes obviously you see like a fullback or halfback whatever you want to call him a lead blocker we really don't have that guy since Garrett Williams left so I mean my Mylon Richard is not you know he's not a great blocker so far. So if you talk about putting Eddie and, and Feaster in, well, when I think you're going to put an extra DJ Greenlee had been our best blocking tight end so far this year, and he's been injured. How's Garrett Williams doing? When's he expected back? He, fortunately, <laughs> he is expected back this year, but yeah, we could certainly use him. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't foresee that. Plus, we have Kelly Bryant um, already a, a, a running threat again. Like you said, Tully, it's a little bit of a numbers thing. So I'm just saying, I, I got a play. I'm going to draw up for uh, for Skelliot. Yeah, just craft it off of your, your like little league or your Pee Wee team. And I think I still got my playbook somewhere. If you have video of it, we could link to that. I definitely there's I'm, an old VHS somewhere in my parents' house that shows me on a 64 yard TD run, uh, almost getting tripped up by the 20 yard line. Stud. Do you have any uh, childhood little league stories? None to totally? share on this podcast. Save that for later. <laughs> um, well, guys, any parting thoughts on this offensive effort? I mean, you know, pretty impressive the way that. Um, Clemson stuck with it, and 
clearly it was, it was the Etienne show later on, later on in the game. But um, yeah, if we play this game multiple times, I, I feel like the scores may be probably similar as a final, uh, but you know, not our best effort. No, I, and I, I just have to hope it's a combination of not wanting to show anything um, and really being surprised and not being able to adjust, I guess, or being hesitant to adjust because Kelly Bryant's young quarterback hadn't prepared for it. Um, bright spot, clearly, Travis Etienne. We're going to see a lot more of him. I'll say this. Uh, it didn't look good, and there were some boos, and that's that's crazy, right? There's, last time we had boos, I think it was against Troy in 2011, uh, you know, when Taj Boyd was like making his home debut, I believe. Um, anyway, so I, I understand why fans would be upset, uh, but I, I really, really think Tony Elliott is one of the most thoughtful and intelligent people probably in the game. And I don't think he has the same ego as a, as a Chad Morris where there's an element of stubbornness and like, you know, uh, I, I have my game plan. This is what we're going to do. I'm not going to, you know, we're going to break this defense eventually. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. it seemed a little bit like stubbornness in that regard, but I, I think he is very intentful. He wasn't just thinking about Boston college in this game. I think he was thinking about his quarterback psyche. He was thinking about the next week, putting things on film and probably three or four other variables that we don't even know of because He's smarter. He might not be smarter than us in every aspect of life, but he's a hell of a lot smarter than us in football. Uh, he's probably smarter than us in every yeah, aspect of life. He, he probably is. Yeah, you're right. Um, last area we didn't really touch on too much is the offensive line and continue to still see breakdowns happening on the right end of that line. Not much, not much we can say about that. I think it'll still continue to probably be an issue. And I think, you know, you can, you can scheme around that somewhat by moving the pocket or, you know, trying to, really run plays or, or line the tight end up on that side. But if, if Richard's not necessarily giving you all that much help either, you know, could continue to be a liability. Well, and, you know, some teams, their best uh, defensive end is going to switch between the left and the right. That's what we saw with Landry in this game. Uh, some teams, their best guy is just going to line up where that best guy lines up, and that's happened to us a few times at right tackle this year. I think the most disappointing thing is that you've seen regression, uh, especially from Sean Pollard which is, is not you, you always hope to see momentum uh, build uh, and, and players improve from year to year. Call it a sophomore slump, call it whatever. You just hope they can get it corrected before the season's over. Um, and then speaking of the right side of the line, Tyrone Crowder, man, go on a diet, run on a treadmill, do something. You're huge. It's happened before with Crowder where, you know, mid-season weight issues, but it's only the fourth game of the year. And, yeah, he's, he's having some issues. Yeah, he, too much Papa John's in Louisville. It's his money year. Well, it's his fifth year. He's had thir- three money years now, but he's legitimately a, an NFL player, but it's just, you know, how much money is he going to make? And this is his last chance to prove it. So uh, that's that's concerning. Any hope further down the depth chart in terms of recruits we've got, um, first-year guys? You know, I'm surprised they haven't, because Hearn has looked really good, and, and obviously Hyatt is an All-American caliber tackle. I'm surprised they haven't put Simpson over at right tack- or right guard uh, or even cross-chain him at tackle as well, but um, at least as a guard, because I think he is—he has a tremendous amount of upside, probably the most of any guard on the entire team. And that, that, out year last year, right? Yeah. Well, and again, we again, there's some poor pocket presence there by Kelly Bryant that can make the offensive line look bad at times. So I think it's just something to continue to pay attention to moving forward, and hopefully we improve on it. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. So guys, not much, not much more to say about this defense accolade wise. Um, another seven point performance. Um, I guess, you know, we allowed six to Auburn and I'm, I'm calling it seven against Louisville. 
um, regardless of what the scoreboard finally said. But um, this was a game, I think, where we saw a lot more of the depth chart displayed some in some some respects due to injury that happened in the game in other respects due to substitutions that Venables was bringing in. Uh, how do you think we call this one defensively, Cody? Um, I, well, I didn't dive deep into the defense, but I mean, I, I think it's just another we beat, killed them at the line of scrimmage. And the secondary is showing that it has it's very talented and it's very deep. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was really happy. I hate to see that guys get banged up. Well, we're, we're, starting to, we're starting to test that depth with uh, Mullen um, out with the concussion protocol. You got Edmund. Uh, who's got an ankle injury and Mark Fields battling a groin injury right now. I mean, you're looking at throwing AJ Terrell in there to start against Virginia Tech next week. It's good that you're probably your most talented DB on the whole roster is uh, is the in your five star freshman. It's it's good to have one of those there. Um, you know, it's it's part of like being good is also being deep in a way because these things happen. Um, but I think we're getting to the point um, where. We're starting, we can have legitimate concern a little bit about these injuries starting to build up. Um, you've already seen it, uh, you know, have its effect at uh, defensive end with Logan Rudolph going down and having to shuffle things around. You're going to see Christian Wilkins uh, move out some more. I imagine uh, you saw in this game uh, Austin Bryant flip over to Farrell's side and bring Chris Register in in Austin Bryant's position to to to, to give Farrell a break there. Um so, yeah, you're starting to see that. Until Xavier Kelly and Justin Foster come on, who they, they got some reps in this game, but they're still not there yet. Until they're able to come on, um, and then also with the, you know, until we get some guys healthy at cornerback, we cannot afford to have injuries in, in this Virginia Tech game coming up at these two uh, position groups. Yeah, I think Josh Jackson is going to give you a lot more than Brown did on the BC side. He's averaging nine yards an attempt. Um, they're, you know, in terms of advanced stats, they're, passing success rate um, and passing overall isn't necessarily, um, you know, they're not world beaters in that regard, but Virginia's had can throw it around a little bit. And I think as we learned in the ACC championship game last year, Justin Fuente is a, is a great offensive coach. Um, So, and we're going to need to bring more pressure. Yeah. We we didn't do a lot in this game. We only got one sack. Um, Again, the the defense did what they had to do. They only gave up seven points, right? Um, The BC is not a great offense by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but you did see a lot of substitutions, like you mentioned. You saw a lot of guys in there, the Jalen Williams, the J.D. Davis, Amir Trapp got in there for a few plays. I mean, and this this game was close into the fourth quarter. We're getting to the point where I think it's going to be time to keep your best players on the field for the majority of the game, and that's scratching into the two deep, no deeper than that. Yeah, I think uh, Kraken Tiger said it best. You say all week long you respect a team like Boston College, but when you're filtering in guys the way we were so early, it, it's really a sign to them that it's a, it's a sign of disrespect. And I don't recall, but I'm guessing in the fourth quarter, when it, when the game was on the line, I'm guessing we weren't flipping guys in and out as much. Um, I you know again, I need to look at the film, but uh, but yeah, I guess we we had to the defensive line. There is a clear drop off when you're talking about like you're talking about Kelly and and Justin Foster. And maybe a, a bright spot, but also you can look at this as a negative as well. Austin Bryant looks really good. Like yeah, he he's, he's a draft pick, and that's probably three of our four guys that will be headed off to the NFL after this season. Yeah, he's really come on. Uh, and then one more thing on the defensive line, and this is where it hurt not to put this game uh, away early. Dexter Lawrence needs some rest. That toe is clearly injured. He's not moving as fast as he was last year. Uh, part of that is probably if he has pain in his toe, part of it is maybe to the conditioning because maybe he can't do as much in practice as he's trying to rest that thing. But he's just not the same guy he was last year. 
Yeah, I, actually, I watched a bit of Virginia Tech from last year. Just and I was watching Dax on on film. He was so quick. Like you just forget how quick he was. That's what made him so great. Uh, he's that big and that quick. And he he's uh, he's more of just like your traditional nose tackle that eats up blocks but can't really move. And that's not him. He's he's a fast dude. It kind of kind of stinks that you know you, you don't get to put him and um and Wilkins and at 100 together. But I don't know if if Russ is going to be the cure for this though. I, I, it might just be a year long thing that we have to deal with. Yeah, it could be. Um, other injuries sustained. It looks like Niles Pinkney uh, hobbled off at one point. It's going to be critical that, that he's able to get back for this coming up game um, against Virginia Tech, again, to give Dex some rest and or if we need to move Christian Wilkins out um, to be able to get some some time there, some snaps um, up front. Um, but by and large, I, I think the only other defensive note I had to talk about was some of the tackling that was going on. Um, one, one play that ultimately led to Virginia Tech staying on the field um, and Trayvon Mullen going down with the concussion was Tanner Muse, you know, acknowledged that he probably doesn't want to be flying around as much having sustained that targeting penalty. Well, you can and fly football. around, just don't leave with your head. Yeah, for sure. Um, was not able to make the tackle or even push the guy out of bounds, you know, led to a first down, sustained a drive. Um, well, tackling, you know, is just such a fundamental thing. Well, and speaking of Tanner, and we can get to this here in a second and talk about the special teams and Greg Hugel's injury. Now, how much you want to bet it was Tanner Muse that came around the end wild that last play of practice and was the one that took out Hugel? A dollar? <laughs> Is he like our new bullwear? I'm just saying. Well, that's that's what he does on on, on, on kick blocks. I believe you see him out there on the edge. Uh, maybe it's yeah. just punts, but I'm just saying. Yeah, we maybe, shouldn't maybe be, should be trying to block kicks in practice. At least not all the way through. Not with your starting kicker. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, I mean, you know, appreciate the aggress- aggressiveness, and I think it, you know, ideally translates into the field. But um, I don't know. It was just a lapse. It was, it was one play, um, but ultimately it can have negative consequences, especially when we're playing that close against Boston College. So um, something I imagine for a game in a hostile environment like Virginia Tech. We're going to have tackling sorted out, but it was definitely a negative I took away from this game. Um, Guys, one last point we can wrap up on special teams. I think there's this concept out there of hidden yards, and this has to do with starting field position. Clemson started, I believe, um, at our own. Like six times inside the 10. Six times inside the 10, and there was about an 11.5-yard advantage um, for Boston College in this game. I mean, their punter was a world beater. And that 11 and a half yards per drive across 13 drives in the game, it's about 160 yards. And Boston College has something like 240 yards of total offense. Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of the game, too, is the field position for Clemson was just absolutely terrible. Um, and it stayed that way the entire game. Now, the one takeaway I do have from that, just think, Will Spears averaged 48.2 yards a punt in this game. Imagine if this is last year Spires. and it's a- in Spires. Imagine this is last year and it's Andy Teasdall. Uh, averaging 36 yards a punt in this game, you tack on another 12 yards um, to that to that differential, and it could have been a completely different story. So, having him come on this year and do as well as he has, and he's been consistent. He hasn't been shanking punts. They've consistently been deep, and the only gripe you have about this guy is he's not. He doesn't yet have the the touch and the finesse to drop it inside the 20 consistently. But if you give me 48.2 yards a punt every single time, I'll take it all day. Yeah, and, and part of the Part of the d- differential or discrepancy there also is, you know, really where Boston College was starting there is in punt coverage, um, I think could potentially be tighter. So um, we don't have to dwell too much on this. I guess the only other area of special teams we want to talk about is 
kickoff coverage. We're not getting boots into the end zone. That's nothing new for Clemson. But, but that that does hurt having Hugel down because he was booting the ball into the end zone. It looks like Spence is going to be about five to three yard line every single time. Maybe you get a couple uh, a couple yards deep into the end zone, but I think more so. We'll have to see what happens with field goal kicking, but I think more so it's going to hurt us um, on those kickoffs. Yeah, for sure. Um, didn't really test test out the lag in the field goal game. Did miss a PAT, though. It's another thing that you got to chalk up in the gripe category. I had five or six. Something like that. We need a better ratio than that, I think, though. I'm more concerned. I mean, Hugo had, you know, had, had his tendency to miss some extra points. Yeah. I'm more interested in seeing what he can do in uh, crunch time in a game situation as far as field goals. Or, yeah, 40 yards. I mean, he had a 51-yarder in the spring game or whatever. That's great. Can he do it under the bright lights of, you know, not just, you know, the visiting stadium, but a home stadium, you know, in Death Valley too. That's a big stage. Um, hopefully he doesn't have the yips or anything like that. I mean, great teams are generally well-rounded, and they're great in all aspects of the game. So we'll see what happens in, in, in this case, but... Um, here's the hoping that Alex Spence can step up. For sure. Um, well, we will take the W from this Boston College matchup. Um, you know, again, you know, not the crispest Clemson showing that we've seen. Um, plenty of takeaways, plenty of coachable moments, and certainly some highlights coming out of the running game in particular. Um, but, you know, Clemson moves on this coming week to Virginia Tech. Let's move on to that preview. Entering play, college game day will be um, up in Blacksburg on Saturday, this will be Clemson's what second college game day of the year. Yeah, we're averaging about two a year at this point, I think, over the past few seasons. And what this will be three of five games that we're kind of getting like that prime time slot of the season. That's that's yeah. impressive. You come can't to Clemson, buy that exposure, yeah. right? Well, uh, three top fifteen teams that we played so far in our first five games this year after this weekend. Yeah, definitely impressive. Um, Virginia Tech coming into the game, their lone kind of marquee matchup of the year was the opening week. They played in the Redskins Stadium against West Virginia. Came away from that game in a close one. Uh, but since have looked really competent, kind of blowing teams out later on in the games. Um, and, you know, they come in ranked 20th overall in S&P Plus um, advanced stats and really look like a, a team that's reinventing itself. Um, looking at some of the preseason verbiage about Virginia Tech, um, it's Justin Fuente's second year. He kind of overachieved in the first season. Obviously, we played them in the ACC championship game. Um, but they had a lot of their offensive playmakers um, leave either for the NFL or graduate. Um, so, yeah, this this was a team coming into the year with a lot of question marks. Some of those still might remain. Um, but they, they were my pick to win the Coastal. I think they still are. I mean, it's going to be a tighter race. Miami certainly looks pretty good. But I think they're they're a capable opponent, and they could certainly compete for that. I'm not willing to put them into playoff contention just yet, um, but I think that you know they definitely can mess around and, and beat a Clemson team, even though we do have the talent advantage here. Yeah, it's it's hard to say uh, about this team at this point. They did have a good opening uh, week win against West Virginia, but after that, you know, they haven't played the, the stiffest of competition. Delaware, Delaware, ECU, and Old Dominion. Um, ECU being the best of that bunch. So it is really hard to tell with this team at this point, uh, but what you can say about them, they've done what they've been asked to do, and that's win all four of those games. Cody, what are you seeing from this team that either impresses you or gives you the most most to worry about? Yeah, well, you know, given how our offense performed last week, it's definitely their their defense, and you know, obviously, everyone knows who 
all about Bud Foster and how how great of a DC he is. But they're front four. Um, they, I think they're they're young, but they're very talented. One of the, one of the guys is Tim Settle, who we recruited. He's like this big, three hundred thirty pound, just behemoth of a man. Um, yeah, they definitely. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen that against Auburn, but they're very disruptive. You know, Bud Foster's going to send a lot of things. He's He's going to have all kinds of different looks for Kelly Bryant. Um, you know, it almost reminds me a little bit of when we played Ohio State and JT Barrett, um, making him be you know, multidimensional. And I think that's what Bud Foster is going to try to do to KB in this game. They've got talent for sure on that defensive line. Um, they're replacing about half of their two deep, including losing three starters from last year. Uh, so they're relying a lot on sophomores and juniors. Uh, what you notice in the West Virginia game is that the defensive line ended up being pretty tired um, after the first half. And Bud Foster wasn't uh, as aggressive in doing a lot of those, uh, 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 having a lot of activity up front to mess with the quarterback's eyes as much in the second half of that game. So to the extent that Clemson can play with tempo in this game um, and start to wear down that defensive line early, I think it's really going to be beneficial. Yeah, especially if they're you know trying to contain and chase down Kelly Bryant or one of our you know very talented speedy running backs. As we we talked about earlier, um, I think you know when I when I think about keys of the Clemson offense against this Bud Foster defense, um, some of the things I mean we can certainly expect them to try to contain the run. That's how I game plan for this. You know, how are they going to try to set this up where they make Kelly Bryant beat you with his arm? Um, and one key factor in this game is actually going to be um, Virginia Tech will be without their star safety Divine Diablo, um, further putting you know pressure on the ability to contain the run and or you know provide protection over the top. Um, against our passing game. Uh, guys, I, I feel like Clemson continues to get pretty lucky in terms of opponent injuries um, at the time that we're facing them. You had Jair Alexander um, be out in the Louisville game. And then on the offensive side, um, Auburn was actually down to just um, Camp Pedway in the running game. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess asking, going back to the question of how do you contain Clemson's run, well, uh, what Virginia Tech does have is they have every linebacker returning from last season. Um, and it's generally thought that their back seven is among the best in the ACC. That being said, you do mention they are down uh, Divine Diablo, great name, by the way, um, <laughs> at this point in this game, and replacing uh, safety Chuck Clark from last year. Uh, Looks like they have a, a cornerback who's also questionable for this game, Adonis Alexander. Well, so there you go. Um so we'll, we'll see um, how, uh, how they're able to contain this Clemson running game. And we've seen the Clemson offensive line have success this year in opening up holes. Um, and again, if they can wear this uh, defensive line down, I think you'll start to see some movement on that side of the ball. But it's hard to be confident after what we saw in the BC game unless they were holding anything back uh, because Virginia Tech is no slouch of a defense. And Bud Foster is going to do more complex things, give you more complex looks than BC was uh, this past Saturday. Yeah, he'll he'll absolutely make sure that Kelly Bryant uh, beats us with his arm. Like we're not gonna just run the ball ground and pound uh, our way to victory. It's gonna be because we go downfield, and if that's the one thing where he will, he'll leave open that spot on the field, whether it's going man on the outside or whatever the case, I, I imagine he's gonna stuff the box, make sure we're not we can't do a whole lot um, running the ball and making sure. Kelly Bryant, if he, if he wants to be, this is going to be downfield. Well, and I, I think for that reason, I think you're going to see them keep it pretty simple in the passing game for Kelly Bryant because he is going to be getting a lot of different looks that he's not going to be able to read. He just has, doesn't have the capability to read at this point. Um, and then you'll see the occasional deep shot. But I want to I want to see a, a heavy dose of getting the ball to Raven McLeod on the outside, getting Amari Rogers in there, and you know get DeAndre Overton on the field. 
Or if Kane's not going to go up for those balls, put DeAndre Overton out there to battle. You know, this guy's 6'5". Um, and then finally, you know, if it's third and five, you're going to throw it to Hunter Renfro. He's going to catch it. Pretty reliable. Um, you talked about the deep ball and kind of the deep shot that we could be taking. Virginia Tech actually ranks 115th in the country at explosiveness through the passing game um, on defense. So they're susceptible to that. I think probably speaks to their aggression and wanting to contain things up front. So yeah, that may that may well be there for us. And that's having played teams with out nearly the offensive talent as Clemson has in the receiver spot. Well, again, so play with tempo, establish the running game early and just keep pressing them to wear down those defensive linemen and give Kelly Bryant some high confidence, easy throws to build his confidence, guys on the outside, keep the chains moving, and then you can start to open up some things downfield. Yeah, and I hear there's a good freshman, um, number nine for Clemson. They should put him in a little bit. Etienne? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's from Louisiana. That's right. Um, you know, and it, just thinking about this matchup, I mean, again, it's – this could be another ugly game potentially. And I feel like another imperative for this offense is sustaining drives, continue to get the defense off the or keep the defense on the sideline as much as possible. Yeah, but we're gonna be more comfortable winning an ugly game on the road against a top fifteen opponent than we are at home against Boston College. No no argument there. Um I, I just think we you guys mentioned it earlier, when first down, second down don't work, this team cannot turtle on the road in a tough environment. Um, they've got to continue to find ways to grind, keep keep the third downs manageable. Not really a rocket science you know, type of experiment here. No, but you're, that out. it's it's positive plays though. Like because again, we can't have one bad screen pass because that puts us at first or second down at fifteen, and we're probably not going to execute. I mean, we just don't have that. You know, at least to date, we don't have quite that big play explosive. Or you know, if we're behind the chains, it's it's tough for us. Um, you, you didn't mention Ben t- talking about Deion Kane. It's not just you know, him not going up a high, high point in the ball or whatever the case, maybe a lack of aggression that you see. He's six feet one, maybe six feet two on a good day. You do have two guys that are six five that are athletic freaks, just inherently in their skill set and their body size are going to be more apt to get some of those balls. I agree. You got to use that. I don't I don't care if you have to put Dion, you know, at the, at the two or the five, whatever, mix it up, but get Overton and T Higgins some more reps. Imperative. Absolutely. I would. Higgins still looks a little raw to me, but definitely Overton. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely see maybe Higgins. Uh, he's put like 20 more pounds of muscle yeah. on. Yeah. And another thing we saw in this BC game, we mentioned the discrepancy of starting field position and, you know, what that the hidden yards meant. Virginia Tech, they're historically known as, you know, a special teams first type of team. I think that has continued on it in Fuente's tenure. Um, and their defense ranks something like second in the country in. Um, opponent field position so that's another factor you know you make the field long for kelly bryant more opportunities to mess up or more opportunities for drives to stall Um, it's going to be something that we we do need to try to keep that under control well and speaking to our defense and and how they play in this game against virginia tech's offense i think that's going to be a big key of it is boston college had a lot of plays in plus territory on clemson's side of the 50 uh, to the extent that our defense can limit that in this game, we get more three and outs than we did. Um, you know, Virginia Tech has gotten off to slow starts this year. Uh, they were up only seven to nothing over Delaware after the first quarter, down seventeen to six to ECU after the yeah. first, and only a three to nothing over Old Dominion after the first. You know, if this defense can get some big stops early and the offense can put together a couple of successful drives. Uh, get a lead early, quiet the, the crowd. I, you you got to jump on top of it, man. But I think that's that's one of the keys to victory. Absolutely. 
Um, maybe we should flip flip it over. Talk about Virginia Tech's offense. Um, Josh Jackson, first year starter. He comes in replacing Gerard Evans, who had a very successful um, campaign last year. He opted to go into the NFL draft. Last I heard, he was auditioning for um, replacement of Andy Dalton in Cincinnati, but he probably went out a year early. Um, and Fuente and the crew were back to kind of square one. Well, I think um, a lot of people are auditioning for Andy Dalton's job at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, still, you know, redshirt freshman quarterback. He could be the real, real deal. We don't know yet. He's a 65% passer right now, 11 TDs, one interception. But what defense has, has he played? Um, he's going to get a test in this game. That's for sure. And I think we're going to start to see what he's made of. Yeah, it's really tough to, to try to predict what this guy is because he, he really hasn't faced anything like Clemson's defense. Um, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of Kelly Bryant's skill set from the limited time that I saw him play. Um, they're obviously going to do more in the passing game. They're not going to do as like, heavy zone reads, but you will see some like QB powers and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't. We'll see how he reacts when he has Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins coming at him. But who knows? Um, that's probably the one area where a team could exploit us um, yards at, or a quarterback that's got some scramble ability, escape ability. He's they. They don't want him to run that much. Um, he's not Gerard Evans. Um, he's not going to be able to take as many hits as Evans had. So they really don't want to run him as much as he has in a couple of games this year. Um, and one thing he does have is Cam Phillips. This guy's going to be an All-American. Um, nobody behind him, but when you look at Clemson and their situation at the cornerback position, if Mullen's down and Fields is down and Edmund is down, that's leaving you with Ryan Carter and uh aj terrell right and not much depth behind them uh and cam phillips we know he's the real deal he's a really good wide receiver and that's one guy that can beat you yeah i think you're right i mean i i, I feel like the passing game generally is against the batter clemson secondary you know it could be one chink in the armor of this defense at least this coming week uh, that we need to keep an eye on um on the running on the rushing side um virginia tech bring back brings back a pair of junior running backs trayvon mcmillan um, he featured pretty heavily in the ACC championship game. And then Steven Peoples is actually their leading carrier. Um, McMillan's averaging 5.1 yards a carry. Um, pretty solid. But again, you got to consider the defense they've been playing. Um, I don't know, Cody, if you, you know, where you would, would mark this Virginia Tech team in terms of um, their strengths overall. I feel like they're, they seem to be stronger in the passing game um, than running. I think so. I saw McMillan wasn't overly impressed. I mean, he's a solid running back, but he's not going to break anything long. He's he's between the tackles runner. Um, that's something we're generally going to be able to with our our gap uh, assignment. We're probably going to be able to shut that down and limit limit to him to something less than five yards per carry. That's for sure. Um, they seem like a team that's that's really above average to good at a lot of things, but not great at any one thing. That's, yeah. that's what struck me as I was watching them. I think the numbers bear out. Yeah. They're, they're in like the thirties and passing S and P and the forties and rushing. So, not, well, they've been, they've actually elite. spread the ball around proven uh, pretty evenly amongst the running backs. They actually got three guys. Uh, Deshaun McLeese is another guy, small dude, five, nine, 190 pounds, but uh, he, he runs with a great pad level. Um, and, and he's not afraid to get in there between the tackles. So, um, you're right. I think it's a work in progress. Uh, they're, it's kind of by committee at this point. Um, I do not expect them to have much success against Clemson's defense. So one of my keys to this game is for the defense, first and foremost, to stuff that run, uh, make them one-dimensional, one and force that freshman quarterback into mistakes. Yeah, I think what gives me a lot of, a lot of hope for this game is our linebacker play and how versatile they've been. Um, really, our, our ability to react to what they're 
what their game plan is. I think we've got the talent and we've got the kind of flexibility among that core to to really shore things up. Um, you mentioned their leading receiver, um, Cam Phillips. I think he's he's probably you know a senior coming back. He's he's very accomplished. He's probably the the one aspect of this offense that probably gives me the most most pause. There's nobody behind him though. Um, but again, we're down some guys. We're we pretty, don't necessarily have the shutdown. We're pretty guy. thin at that position yeah. right now. It would be good, you know, something as good as uh, we've had some great players in our secondary over the last few years. It would be good to see uh, more of that ball hawking type guy in the secondary emerge. Is that Terrell? Um, Isaiah Simmons will get to play a little bit. Maybe that's Kevon Wallace who's going to be moving over to corner in this game. And I, I really like, I like his versatility. I like his athleticism. Um, just a great pickup out of out of Virginia of all places. So um, yeah, he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. He said that Vodtech wasn't really recruiting him until. By the way, they hate when you call it Vodtech. But uh, what's going Vodtech? Vodtech uh, was not really recruiting him seriously until Clemson came around. So uh, he signed with us. You know, kind of took that as a slight, and he'll be playing. You know, in Lane Stadium with that chip. Hey, whatever motivation it takes. Apparently, uh, one of the defensive coaches cussed at Cleveland Farrell once he committed to, to Clemson. Cussed him out. All right, a lot of motivation. Sean. Yeah, I mean, those are those are the kind of little edges that, you know, can get Clemson off to a good start on in this game on the road in a hostile environment, and that can change the complexion. So, um, you know, in terms of previews are, have always been tough for us to do, but, you know, I think there are enough factors in this game to make it an interesting showdown no matter what. Um, how are you guys feeling, like, you know, top factor that could lead to a Clemson loss in this game? What do you guys think? <sighs> Losing the turnover battle on offense and playing behind the chains, um, I think for me. I don't think we can afford uh, to, to just sit back and let the defense take the game over and just wait for the opposing defense to wear down. I think we're going to have to be more dynamic Press the issue. on offense and, and play well early. Again, jump out to a lead. I think that is the best-case scenario for us and gives us the best opportunity to win. This team has not played uh, with a deficit this year. Um, I'm not anxious to see that happen. We technically trailed against Auburn by like a two field goals, but <laughs> you're yeah. right. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the turnover battle, and it's like, I mean, that's say that's obvious, but it, it's 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 real. Like that, I could see this go in their direction if if Kelly Bryant makes a mistake, compounds that with another mistake. Next thing you know, you know they're up a couple scores. Uh, I could definitely see it going that way, and that's how we lose. Otherwise, I think talent will usually win out, and and I think they have they have great coaching. I'll give them credit, but we also do too. So I I, I think their spread is what, it's, what we said seven. That feels right. That, that feels right. It feels like we're a touchdown better than them at this point playing in Blacksburg. Blacksburg. What about the over under? I have a feeling this is going to be low scoring, maybe tough to watch. Yeah, I think the over under is in the high forties um, for this game. I'd have to double check that, but. Um, could be could be another kind of Auburn type, you know, it's not final score that was ridiculously low, but at least in terms of pace and um, everything else, more low scoring than you would expect. Um, I guess, yeah, go it's ahead. been hard to predict games this year. They've been all over the map. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think for me, the, the one key that we'll want to avoid is really what I thought would, would end up bearing out in the Auburn game once we saw that first quarter, which is their offense extending drives on our defense, having credible running threats that sort of limits our ability to send a lot of pressure. Um, I'm not as concerned about Jackson as a runner. Um, they don't really have a running back of the caliber of Petway um, that Auburn had. But, um, you know, if their offense is able to get success and extend drives on our defense, 
we are going to be down some depth. And are we going to be able to sustain kind of a, a long grind out rock fight of a game? We did it against Boston College. We did it against Auburn. But, you know, three out of four weeks would, would rather not see that come down. Yeah, and one more thing, wild card, uh, James Clark in the return game. It's only a matter of time before uh, uh, he takes one to the house this year. Um, let's hope it doesn't come against us on the road in Blacksburg night game. That can be a huge momentum swing. Um, game predictions. You mentioned a touchdown. Is Ray Ray going to get a return touchdown? And does Eddie and how many touchdowns does he score? Well, number one, Eddie is going to get kickoff return touchdowns. Um, Maybe not in this game. I mean, in general, though. In general, how many touchdowns will he score in this game? Oh, Etienne. Etienne. It's hard to say. You can key in on the kid, and he's still going to run through you, run by you, run around you, whatever. Um, I will. I don't know. I don't know how much we're going to score. Yeah, I'm probably thinking one because I'm not sure how much we're going to score. But you know what? I'm going to go two and a half. Set the over under at one and a half. I'm going to go two over. I mean, I think this, and this is more of a question on his usage too. Like, are we finally going to make him a priority in this game? And I think, obviously, I think we should. And I would like to see the number at two. I think so. I think you're going to see uh, Feaster in there uh, on early, uh, early on in drives uh, to pound into the heart of the defense, and then maybe bring Etienne for, uh, in for a pop after you know, maybe we get a few first downs. Defense getting a little gas, bring him bring him in there to hit a home run. Ben, who gets your defensive game ball at the end of this game? Yes. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think it's going to have to be A.J. Terrell. I think he's going to lock down Cam Phillips. I'm going to go with uh, with Cleveland Farrell going back to his home state. He's had a really good year all year. I think he's had some uh, like issues getting to the quarterback. Not, you know, nothing out of nothing that's really his fault, but just closing and closing the deal and getting the sack. He's not. He's he's getting the penetration. He looks great. He looks like a first rounder. I mean, he's dealt with some shifty customers. Lamar Jackson. Yes. Um, even Brown was pretty elusive. Um, Siddham's got some good foot speed as well yeah. for a white quarterback. Jackson might be slightly, slightly slower than those guys. Maybe a hair slower. Right. Um, so Farrell going back to Virginia Tech or going back to his home state of Virginia. I think he he actually registered a couple sacks. I'm going Austin Bryant. He's been my guy this year. Um, certainly hit what seven tackles for loss against Auburn. Sounds about right. Four sacks, something like that. He needs to shut it down because NFL's calling. <laughs> so he needs to he needs to ease up a little bit. Pretty sure he's gone. But um, yeah, AB had a hell of a year. I think that continues this week. Um, any final parting predictions, guys, for this Virginia Tech matchup? Clemson showed last week that they're still in danger of possibly losing a couple games this year. This could be one of them. Yes. Um, the, the Kelly Bryant that we feared – could uh, at the beginning of the year that we, you know, the guy that was not multidimensional, um, he, he that that version of Kelly Bryant, that version of our offense could lose us a couple of games, and this would definitely be one I would be circling if I were going to bet against Clemson for the first time in what would be the three years of our podcast. This might be the first game I would do it. Same here. Um, yeah, I mean, should be a great matchup. Um, Fortunately, I think for us, I love it when we get the nightcap game out here on the West Coast. That's 5 o'clock kickoff. You can kind of have a whole day to watch other games or not watch football at all um, and then get into the into the night game. So it should be a great one. Um, maybe pivoting off this game, we will look ahead to further matchups. But I wanted to talk to you guys. If that comes to pass, if let's just say Kelly can't put it together this week, we sustain a loss, um, what does the rest of the season look like for you in terms of the quarterback play? 
in terms of getting other guys reps. I mean, I'm not suggesting we lose this game. It depends how it would happen, of course. But I think he's shown enough so far and had enough success. He has to have a really poor game against Virginia Tech to oh yeah to, to the point where he will they will have to yank him um, for us to see any sort of a change. If we lose this one in a close one. Um, or even by you know a couple touchdowns, but the play is serviceable. I mean, again, it's going to be a good defense he's going up against. Uh, there's no movement there, I don't think. And my question is not to suggest there would be or, or whatever, but at what point do you think we start to see a little bit more Zaire Cooper in games? Well, we haven't lost a game yet, so leave it at that. Yeah, and it's just a lot to be seen. But there is, there's two parts of this. Kelly Bryant looks like a guy that could, could improve a whole lot upon what he's already done. And he's shown us a lot, particularly in the, in the Louisville and Auburn games. But there's also more tape on him. And that's, that's something defensive coordinators, especially good ones like Bud Foster, are really good. Um, and the tape is out. His weakness, he, he's flawed. He's not, he's not as complete as Deshaun Watson. Uh, it, it could be rocky. It could also be, he could also improve. Um, I don't want to see Zarek Cooper, though. I don't want to see Hunter Johnson because I don't think they're ready. Yeah, for me, I think as long as this Clemson team is in the hunt for an ACC title, for a college football playoff berth, et cetera, I mean, you got to ride ride Kelly Bryant, work on his improvement, um, continue to get, get development there, and hope that he can actually achieve his potential. Yeah, well, it's, it, he has a high ceiling. You know, that's not so limited, so. Yep. I, trust me, man, on Twitter on Saturday, we, we read, I read a lot of comments about let's get some other guys some reps, so. It is on the mind of Clemson Nation. There's a reason those guys are on Twitter on Saturday and not on the sidelines. Twitter on game day is a fun place, I will say. It doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. I don't, they're there's, not in the booth. I'll give you that. There's some coaches I've, I've watched out there, um, like the guy in Knoxville, uh, where there's probably some fans that are a lot smarter than the coach. I'm just saying they're not all, they're not all Brent Venables. Fair point. Um, so, guys, what games across the college football landscape are you scouting for this weekend? Are you looking at not a lot. Um, Indiana, Penn State, really only high-profile game. But uh, two games within the ACC I'm really looking forward to. Uh, number 14, undefeated Miami at undefeated 4-0 Duke. That's going to be real interesting uh, to see if Duke, or really Miami, is actually legitimate. Uh, and then FSU at Wake. Wake, undefeated 4-0. Uh, FSU is reeling right now, still trying to break in that quarterback. Again, they played two less games in Wake Forest, so they're still growing as a team. They're on the road against Wake, not the most hostile of environments in Wake Forest, but it's more so for me to test to see how good Wake really is, um, given that we have them up on the schedule coming up next after Virginia Tech. Uh, Florida State, I, I kind of get it at this point. They're not going to be a great team this year, period. For me, USC Wazoo, it's Friday night. Uh, it's out in Pullman. should be a really good game. Uh, I'm looking at that one. Um, speaking of Knoxville, I'm going Georgia at Tennessee. I, I really think Georgia. And I, maybe I'm again. Maybe I'm buying their stock high, but I, I really think they're 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 like us. Maybe two years ago, I think they're they're at that that brink of maybe being elite, a, a bigger hurdle in conference in Alabama. But I I, th- I think we'll find out s- soon and playing on the road, freshman quarterback. We'll see. Mississippi State coming up that loss to Georgia will go to Auburn. That'll be another interesting game. We can see how well. Auburn continues to develop after dropping the one to Clemson um, the second week of the year. But other than that, you know, not not a ton on the schedule that is looking too great. But those tend to be the weeks that, you know, you see a lot of crazy stuff happen. So I think th- they had once Tennessee um, lost to Florida, it was really a no brainer to give Clemson, Virginia Tech the, the game day pass and the primetime treatment. Uh, so, you know, I think they picked the right one. 
Clemson now. I mean, it, it's it, we command great ratings, and, and they want us for the primetime spots. It's not. It's crazy how a brand can grow um, over over the course of a few years, but we're we're right there. It's not only that we're, we're good because, and then it's we get that so, spot. It's that we're actually getting getting that spot. We we draw viewers. It's more so. It's crazy to see what Dabo's done to grow the brand. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, we are there. We're living it, and uh, it should be really fun. I hope we get the sloppy body guy on a road trip up to Blacksburg. Um, that would be great. It'd be awesome, right? He's a full scale grown up now. I think he, he probably has kids. What do you think? Uh, Frank Beamer is the college game day guest. Yeah, it's probably safe. Guest, bet. guest picker. It's got to it's got to be him, right? Yeah. They went Patino in Louisville, who is under some scrutiny now um, due to some. NCAA allegations. Yeah, you're not you're not going to see him up again. <laughs> you won't uh, see him. But, uh, yeah, they, they they pull in legendary coaches here and there. So I can't think of any more you know, like high profile Virginia Tech. Maybe Michael Vick. Who knows if what him is, his image is at the moment. But yeah, I'm gonna bank on Frank Beamer. Safe. Can you think of anyone else Virginia Tech alum aside from Beamer or uh, or Michael Vick? Marcus Vick. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they'll go with Marcus. Um, I can't think of any non-athletes off the top of my head. I'm sure they have some very prominent, uh, successful people. That I'm sure they do. Would yeah. be justified, but yeah, probably Beamer. It's a safe bet. Um, anything else, fellas? Should we wrap this one? Yeah, I mean, Ben, I'm, any more any more poems? Or I see a look in Ben's eye. He's got letters. something to say. No, that's, you guys gave me a little, you know, you're really good at this when I'm not here um, about making fun of the things that I do. And you had a lot of disparaging things to say about how I score the podcast prediction challenge. And Cody, I just want to let you know that you're winning right now. Um, and that's saying a lot because the point system is actually uh, calibrated so as to put you at a disadvantage. First of all, Ben, I, I say these things to your face all the time and I've told you time and time again that it's a very flawed system. Second, you don't know how Vegas spreads work. I don't know if you should be in control of our for our point system for the podcast. But, but I'm glad to hear that I'm winning. That's exactly why I should be because this shouldn't be like Vegas. Even blind squirrels find a nut. Got a lot of nuts. With that, we will leave you. Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to uh, shout us out in a review on iTunes. Uh, tell a friend about the podcast. Keep those comments coming. And once and for all, go Tigers. And I'm so... I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not, this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home. Ben's just trying to get bloopers. He's, he's, fishing, blooper. he's fishing for bloopers. <laughs> Good. Good? Yeah. Yeah, he does a great cock flop. Cock flop. Oh, boy. <laughs>